Tearing Down Walls, a Sunshine Life podcast with your host, Sylvia Cunningham. Hey everyone, this is Tearing Down Walls on Sunshine Live, a transatlantic show in partnership with WNHU at the University of New Haven in the United States. Every month, I'm joined by people on both sides of the Atlantic to talk about issues that unite us. Today, we're talking about identity and the places we call home. Joining me to reflect on identity through his art and music is composer, producer, and DJ Anthony Mayovi. Welcome. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. So, Anthony, I imagine that idea I just mentioned of identity and the places you call home, that's something you must have thought about once or twice before. You are originally from the UK. You've traveled a whole lot across Europe, spent some time in Berlin, and now you've landed in New Haven, where you host an electronic music show, Neubody, on WNHU. What brought you to Connecticut? Um, The short answer is family. My uh, wife is from here. We were living in the Netherlands for for a while, and we sort of found it quite difficult to kind of find our footing there. So my wife suggested that we try our luck in the United States. And as someone of no fixed abode, I think it was a, it was like sure, why not? Wait, did you say no fixed abode? Well, you know, I've been traveling around so far. Like I started touring in I guess my early 20s so I guess you get used to everything being transient a little bit so for me to pack up and move to another country is uh, less of a big deal than for some of my friends for example. Do you find that the music that you make what kind of projects that you're involved with does that all depend on your surroundings and the places that you actually physically are? I would probably say whilst I'm making things probably not though I'd say with hindsight, almost definitely. It's like very interesting when I reflect on uh, things I made in the, uh, something I made in like 2012 or 2013 and it's like where I was at that time. It's, um, how would I put it, like a subconscious diary in a way. So Anthony, you host a radio show on our partner station, WNHU, called Neubody. Tell us more about that project. Uh, Neubody is a collective of uh, DJs here. Um, New Haven in particular, every time I've done shows which are more like house and techno oriented, there's 100% an audience for it, but sometimes it can be a little bit um, strange for promoters here or like uh, the clubs here the, or the bars, because it's very much a, uh, like a rock town, I'd say. So we decided there was safety in numbers and we should form this uh, collective. And uh, the radio show is just one aspect of the thing we're trying to set up here. Okay, so very different from Berlin then. Uh, It's, yes. (laughs) (laughs) To put it lightly. (laughs) Yes, to put it lightly. Um, So are you missing Berlin then sometimes? Feeling a pull to come back here? I have a strange relationship with Berlin. Like when I moved, I, I moved there in 2009 and it was, as you can imagine, it was a very, very different city. And you would say that, and I would meet the people who moved there five years earlier, and they would say it was a very, very different city. And the the, the rate of change has, while it's not unrecognizable, it's definitely different. I think I moved there at the right time. I think I was the right age to be really sink myself into the city and kind of go on these like strange adventures. I miss my friends there like like a, a crazy amount. 
Anthony Mayovi is a New Haven-based DJ and hosts Noi Body on WNHU. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much. Okay, bye-bye. Tearing Down Walls, our transatlantic show on Sunshine Life. Today we're talking about identity, something that our next guest has explored through her writing. Donna Swarthout is the daughter of German-Jewish parents. She is the editor of the book, A Place They Called Home, Reclaiming Citizenship, Stories of a New Jewish Return to Germany. She moved with her husband and children to Berlin in 2010, and she joins us now from Berlin. Hello, Donna. Hello. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Thanks for being here. And also with us is Donna's daughter, Olivia, who is studying statistics and joins us from Scotland in Glasgow. Welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. Pleasure to have you. So let's start with you, Donna. You and your family moved to Berlin almost a decade ago. Take us back to that point. What propelled you to make the move and reclaim German citizenship? Sure. We had been living in Bozeman, Montana, which is a beautiful town in the Rocky Mountain region of the United States. And it was a great place to start our married life and to start our family, but we always felt that the town was lacking in cultural diversity. And as we moved forward with having children and decided to adopt our third child from Ethiopia, we started thinking that we needed a change from Montana and it would be great to go overseas. And at the same time, my brother-in-law was encouraging us to reclaim our German citizenship through a provision in the German basic law that allows the descendants of those who were persecuted during the Holocaust to make this step and become a German citizen again. Olivia, how old were you then? I was 10 years old at the time when we moved. Okay, 10. So I also moved actually around that age, but only from New York to Connecticut. So it was not such a distance. But I mean, I remember the things I felt at that time. What do you remember feeling? Well, I remember at first we weren't planning to move um, permanently. It was sort of originally going to be just for two years. And so that was really exciting to me because it was just an extended trip to a different place where I could go and, you know, pick up a lot of cool stories and um, then return home and have that as part of me, but not permanently be German forever. And so at the time, I was very excited about it. But then when the decision was made later on to move permanently, I definitely didn't like the idea of moving there permanently and of leaving the U.S. behind permanently. What do you remember being at play? Was it the intimidation of learning a new language or not being with your old friends? What were the factors there? Yeah, I think for me, a large part of it was just my friends. When you're that young, it's not really easy to think about the bigger picture of how this decision will affect me in the long term in terms of my prospects and how it will help me develop as a person. So it was very much just wanting to cling on to what was familiar And Donna, what Olivia is referring to, you, of course, would have had more of that foresight of, oh, for my children, you know, they have no idea now how being bilingual will help them later in life. What were you going through personally, adjusting to life in Berlin and making that decision to actually stay? We were all so excited about this initial two-year period, but during that time, my mother became very ill and we knew that we needed to go back to the States to get a diagnosis for her and help make some arrangements for her care. 
So we went back for a full year. And during that time, we did decide to make the permanent move. And so the kids who had been so resilient and had adjusted so well were suddenly saying, what are you guys doing to us? You're jerking us around back and forth across continents. Um, but it's interesting to talk to them now about their perspective uh, because they have the benefit of hindsight. So I think they're pretty happy about it. So, yeah, Olivia, can you confirm that? Are you happy now in, in hindsight? Absolutely. I mean, if there's anyone listening to this who's considering forcing their 10-year-old children to make a transatlantic move, then <laughs> yes, I think it was absolutely in so many ways the right decision. Olivia, you're now studying in the UK. When you're introducing yourself, how do you explain where you're from? Do you tend to identify yourself as being German or American or both? That's a great question. And it's something that uh, I would say changes every time I introduce myself to someone. And it depends a lot on who I'm introducing myself to. And even just how I feel that day, I think that it feels disingenuous often to introduce myself as just German or just American. And especially living outside the US, I think there is a desire not to be seen right off the bat as just American. I often introduce myself as German-American or half German, half American, which isn't technically true. Or I would say the answer that I give the most often is probably that I'm German and was born in the U.S. Donna, what about you? I think I still identify first as an American, but being German is a pretty close second. And of course, I'm Jewish and I'm a woman and I'm a mother and many other things. So it all gets wrapped up into one big burrito or enchilada or whatever you want to call it. But I think the German part of my identity has definitely flourished while I've lived here, but I, I don't feel the need to be fully assimilated or to, to make that my primary identity. So having this multifaceted identity comes with being invested in what happens in both the U.S. and Germany. And in the past months and years, we've seen these horrible acts of anti-Semitism on both sides of the Atlantic, mass shootings and attempted attacks in both countries. How does this type of news affect you and how do you grapple with it? Well, that's a difficult question because I think anyone who's Jewish in Germany is expected to be a spokesperson for these things. And I think my views are often not in alignment with the views of others. One of the things I have difficulty with is the fact that there are some key spokespersons who the media turn to regularly and almost exclusively to comment on anti-Semitism. And I feel like there's a lack of breath in the discussion about anti-Semitism, that we really need to look at this in terms of the other isms that take place in Germany, whether it's uh, racism or other forms of xenophobia, other forms of discrimination and bias. So you run the risk, I guess, when you offer opinions like this of maybe not taking it seriously enough. So I just want to say, of course, it's painful and devastating to hear about any events like this that take place. Um, but I think it's really important also to have accuracy in the reporting and to put the reporting in the context of everything else that's going on in German society. How do you wish the conversation was instead? I wish the conversation was more forward-looking. The Jewish community in Germany, of course, plays an, an important role in 
remembering the events of the Holocaust and education and fighting anti-Semitism, but we also play an important role in building a more robust society. And if we want to uh, reduce the impact of far-right parties like the AfD, the Alternative for Germany, then we need to link arms. Uh, we need to band up with other groups because their main target is not Jewish people. It's Muslims and immigrants from uh, war-torn and impoverished countries that are coming into Germany. Last question to you both, and let's start with you, Olivia. Do you still have questions about your identity, things you still want to probe? I would say maybe I don't have specific things that I want to interrogate about my identity, like there's something left in me that needs to be resolved more that there's space in the future to grow and to develop how I see my identity. And Donna, how about you? Yeah, I feel fairly comfortable with my identity. There's always those unexplored little pockets that you might get to at some point in your life, but I am fairly comfortable with myself. And one of the reasons I love living in Berlin so much is because it's a place where you could really be anyone from anywhere. And Berlin is just made up of so much diversity. And I feel like who I am isn't so important as long as I'm a part of this great fabric. Well, thanks so much to both of you for your openness and for sharing your reflections today. Donna Swarthout is a writer in Berlin, and Olivia Swarthout is studying at the University of Glasgow. Thank you again. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Tearing Down Walls is a co-production of Sunshine Life and college radio station WNHU. 88.7 FM out of West Haven. In this final part of the show, I'm joined by Stephen Kaplan, president of the University of New Haven, which of course is home to our partner station, WNHU. Welcome. Thanks for making the time. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Well, when it comes to the transatlantic relationship and having a tie to both Germany and the United States, of course, we wanted to talk with you. Where did your connection to Germany start? So as an undergraduate at UCLA, I was studying European cultural and intellectual history with an emphasis on the German-speaking countries. Uh, I didn't speak German. I was very interested in a lot of the 19th and 18th century um, cultural icons, Goethe, Mozart, and so forth. Um, But my real relationship with Germany, outside of as a student, started during that time in my senior year at UCLA when I picked up a beautiful German woman and her American boyfriend hitchhiking across the United States. And when I encountered them, they had already completed half their journey across the country and were up in Big Sur, where I had gone up for a weekend. So I picked up my now wife 46 years ago, hitchhiking in Big Sur. We spent an evening together The next day, unexpectedly, they were there hitchhiking again. So I drove them to Los Angeles and spent, they spent five weeks there working um, to make some funds to continue their trip. And that was in August when they left. And in that spring, I went over to Germany and in many ways didn't leave for the next 14 years. 
Wow. Okay. Very romantic. But so, but there wasn't a boyfriend before, and you took the place of him on the road trip. I, <laughs> I not gather. on the road trip. They they weren't getting along too well at, at the time I picked them up, but they still were together when I went over to Germany, and then eventually he moved out and I moved in. <laughs> <laughs> well, a road trip is definitely when you find out what's working and what's not working. So that's great that you met, though. So you mentioned Goethe, you mentioned Mozart. Was art an entry point for you then when you actually moved to Germany? Absolutely. Art, literature, cultural studies. I mean, culture, well, I'm extremely interested in nature. And we've done a lot of incredible trips to places like Africa, South America. What interests me the most in my travels are the cultural encounters you can have. And mainly culture, certainly in terms of people, but mainly in terms of art, literature, music. So yeah, that was a, that was a big entry point to Germany because I fell in love with Germany through its culture. And you've even written a book analyzing translations of poetry by Rainer Maria Rilke. Can you describe how his poetry has moved you? Yeah, Rilke is, is kind of the poet's poet. So I was studying in, in Tübingen, where I spent almost 14 years, German literature, G- German philosophy, uh, with an emphasis really on the so-called canon, which was Goethe, Schiller, and so forth. And then I tripped over Rilke, and he's, like I said, he's the poet's poet. You know, it's, it's poetry for the sake of poetry. It's, it's, and, and I don't just mean that lyrically, but also in, in intellectually. He takes you off into aspects of the meaning of life that are, are pretty powerful. Now I'd like to majorly put you on the spot. Is there any short poem or quote you have that you could share with us? Yeah, you know, his, his most difficult, but also for me, his most interesting poems are his elegies. But the most accessible are the Neue Gedichte. And there's one in there about it. It's called The Archaic Torso of Apollo about a statue in the Louvre, and it's just the torso, and Rilke describes it in really powerful terms. And then the closing line is, denn da ist keine Stelle, die dich nicht sieht, du musst dein Leben ändern. So you've got a, a, a torso, right? No head, no eyes, that can see everything about you and is forcing you to change your life. And that, that to me is, encompasses not just his poetry, but art in general, that art should force us to constantly reevaluate who we are, what we do, and what our place in the world is. And so I would say that's one of my favorite passages. There, there are many others. So another connection you have to Germany is through your stepfather, Irving Glovin. He played a key role in getting the Oscar-winning film Schindler's List produced, Tell us more about that. How has that shaped your impression of Germany? So I didn't know Oskar Schindler. My, my father knew him incredibly well. I actually traveled with him to Israel, uh, along with my mother. And early on recognized the power of the story, bought the book rights, got the film rights. And eventually, I won't go into any detail, but he got Thomas Keneally involved in writing the, the novel, and then Spielberg involved in making the film. And once the novel was being written, and it's, of course, an historical novel. I was already in Tübingen, and my father came over to interview, uh, on behalf of Keneally, a couple of survivors, a couple of very prominent um, members of Schindler's List. And I translated for him. I remember one was at the coffee shop in the Stuttgart airport, 
that, that was quite an experience. And it, and it allowed me to reevaluate everything I had experienced in Germany in terms of how, how the Holocaust was, was grappled with. He made it clear that for someone that had survived the Holocaust, from the few survivors I, I spoke with in Germany, they felt not enough was being done. And I would have to agree with that. And a, a book came out recently about the, by a German historian about the 10 years after the war that made the same point that you know, Germany didn't really deal with, with the Holocaust sufficiently. It's interesting because coming from the U.S. and making the comparison, Germany is oftentimes heralded as this example of, see, this is how you can do it. This is how you can reckon with your past. But you would say it's not enough. I mean, in comparison to Japan, obviously, it's, it's stellar, right? And probably in comparison to this country in terms of, of, of Vietnam and you know, the, the war on Native Americans, you know, Germany's done a lot more. But I guess, you know, it's, it's easy to say as an outsider, but when you talk to a survivor, I think that you start seeing a different picture. And you mentioned you were in Tübingen. I believe it was in the late 1980s when you were both teaching and completing your doctoral research. What are your lasting impressions of teaching American studies to Germans at that time? You know, I also taught evenings for the University of Maryland, so I was teaching American soldiers and their dependents. And I team taught a course with a professor in German studies on American stereotypes of Germany, German stereotypes of Americans. What I really encountered was the Americans, of course, even though they were living in Germany, peripherally, because they were at military bases, but they were still living there, knew very, very little about Germany. But the Germans knew an enormous amount about the United States. They were very critical, but thoughtful. They were a great group of students. They were some of the best students I've ever encountered. So it, it was a great run. And I, and I taught some crazy courses. I taught the films of Woody Allen. You know, I, I, I taught the Vietnam War and the literature of the Vietnam War. And the students just devoured it. And how do you think that is now? Would you say it's still true that Germans know way more of the U.S. than Americans do of Germany? I think so, yeah. And, I, and of course, I have two kids out of four are still in Germany for a long time. Three of them were there. You know, I think America's an island, right? It's surrounded by water. And it doesn't have hostile borders around it. It's lived very isolated. So in this past hour on the show, we talked about identity and the places we call home. You mentioned that two of your children are still here in Germany. Do you feel a tug to return? And what are the places you still call home here? So I loved Tübingen. It's one of the most amazing towns in all of Europe. When people would ask me why I lived in Germany, I would say, I don't live in Germany, I live in Europe. So I, you know, I, I loved having access to the rest of Europe. I loved that part of, of Germany. As far as ever going back outside of the visit, I can't see myself living in Germany again. I, we, we have a house in the south of France, uh, in the Provence, and we'll be retiring there in the coming years. Part of what always troubled me in Germany were the, you know, the, the weather, the gloomy winters, the, you know, how overcast it generally was. And part of that leads to a, a, a kind of a different attitude. Germany, Germany always, for me, and I think a lot of Americans feel this way, was just too serious. I know, though, that my producer, Monica, would argue that is, of course, what leads to the great poetry. Absolutely. No, I mean, I, you know, I, I wouldn't change anything, right? <laughs> it's, like, it's like trying to change a part of your life, right? Everything else comes toppling down. You know, you've lived what you've lived. 
Stephen Kaplan is president of the University of New Haven, home to our partner station, WNHU. Thanks so much for making the time today. Thank you, Sylvia. I enjoyed your questions and I love the show. I think it's a great idea and I hope it continues on for a long time. Thanks so much. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the seventh edition of Tearing Down Walls and the first of the new year. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. This show was produced and edited by me and Monica Müller-Kroll. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.